Where is Erika Gaitan? The 29-year-old El Paso woman was last seen attending a concert while on a date, Saturday, July 13, 2019. The following morning, Erica didn't answer text messages or phone calls, including from the father of her child asking what time he could drop off the boy with her that day. From one day to the next, Erica was gone. It's been extremely hard, and I wouldn't even wish this on my worst enemy, and I try to stay positive for my other children and my other family members. Her mother insists Erica's disappearance was against her will, that she was devoted to her seven-year-old son and would never abandon him. The missing person case turned into a murder investigation, and El Paso police arrested the man last seen with Erica, 28-year-old Ricardo Marquez. Her family suspected him from the beginning. We don't know if he raped her or buried her alive. Erica hasn't been seen or heard from to this day. We're desperate and want to find her body. But is there enough evidence to convince a jury that Ricardo is a killer? Well, you say there's evidence, but I don't know what you're talking about. You're the expert. What we found in that Jeep is the reason you're here, handcuffed in this office. The disappearance and death of Erica Gaitan is this episode of Borderland Crimes. There is no doubt about what Erica Gaitan did on the afternoon of July 13, 2019. The 29-year-old was with her mom in Juarez, Mexico, directly south of the border with El Paso. Erica and Guadalupe Gaitan had walked across the Paso del Norte Bridge in downtown El Paso. Erica got her nails done, and then she and her mom got together with their family members who live in Juarez. Guadalupe recounted that day to me, saying they all ate a home-cooked meal together at her sister's house. Erica and Guadalupe Gaitan walked back over the International Bridge that evening. In fact, Border Patrol cameras captured Erica crossing the border into El Paso, and her mom drove Erica home to her apartment on the Far East Side. She didn't stay there long. 
Erica was going to a concert at the County Coliseum that night. Los Rieleros del Norte was performing, a Norteño music band. She posted a smiling selfie on her Facebook and Snapchat, taken in the tiled Coliseum foyer near the concessions. Erica's shock of black hair was in sharp contrast to her bright white dress that showed off her shoulders, and her large, dark eyes were framed by thick black lashes. Her mom said she called Erica spider eyes because of her fondness for mascara and fake lashes. And as the music swelled around her, Erica pulled herself away to text her son's father, Victor. Erica and Victor were separated, and their seven-year-old, Fabian, was spending that weekend with his dad. She asked how Fabian was doing, and also asked for a pic of her son. She wouldn't see him until Monday, and she missed him. The concert ended early Sunday morning. Erica voice texted a friend named Hilda around 1 a.m. asking for her address. Hilda had invited Erica to her house for a party. Erica said, ay voy, she'd stop by soon, but she didn't show up. Marco, a guy Erica had been dating for a few months, texted Erica later Sunday morning, asking what time they'd meet up for dinner in Juarez that night. She didn't respond. Victor called Erica Sunday evening to verify that he would drop off Fabian with her at 8 a.m. Monday, but she didn't answer the phone. In fact, it went straight to voicemail. Victor called Erica again Monday morning, but once again, got no answer. He had to go to work, so he called Erica's aunt, Maria. He told Maria Erica wasn't responding to his calls and asked if he could leave Fabian with her while he went to work. Maria agreed. Then, while she watched Fabian, she tried calling Erica herself. No answer. Maria called her sister Guadalupe, Erica's mom, and Guadalupe told me that's when she learned Erica seemed to have vanished. My sister called me because she was taking care of Erica's son, and she said she didn't come back on Sunday. I've been calling her, no answer, and she has not been posting photos on Facebook or anything like that, and she was often on social media. How did you feel when you got that call? Did you feel worried? I wasn't worried at first because I thought she was at a friend's house and that she was awake when I was asleep. And after a while, she comes back. Guadalupe tried calling Erica herself, but it kept going to voicemail. It was worrisome, but I thought, well, maybe she'll call back, but she never did. It was highly unusual for Erica to not return calls and texts. She was in constant contact with Victor whenever Fabian was with him. And she often posted on Facebook. Plus, she was known to panic if her phone battery was dying. One time, she lost her phone and used her iPad to respond to messages. She would always find a way to communicate. Guadalupe called El Paso police on the morning of July 16th, more than two days after she last saw Erica. She asked for help finding her daughter. 
At this point, Guadalupe had no clue where Erica could be because Erica hadn't mentioned her Saturday evening plans. Erica's cousins knew she went to the concert because they had seen her social media posts. They fanned out on Facebook and reached out to Erica's friends to see if anyone had seen or heard from her after the concert. They also made public posts asking for information from anyone who had last made contact with her. That's when they found out who accompanied Erica to the concert, and what they were learning about that man was alarming. July 17, 2019 marked four days since anyone had communicated with Erica Gaitan. Erica's friends and family contacted news stations to get the word out about her disappearance. It's a story you've seen online. Now El Paso police are asking for your help in finding a missing mom. She supposedly took an Uber home. We got a last call from her at 1.30. Since then, silence. For her just to just disappear and not come home like that is not of her. When we first heard about Erika Gaitan being missing, El Paso police told ABC7 they did not suspect foul play. But late Thursday night, El Paso police saying crimes against persons now has information that Erika Gaitan could be in danger. More than half a dozen people, friends, cousins, acquaintances, spoke to El Paso police detectives. They wanted to offer any information they thought would help find Erica. Each statement was laden with worry and concern. No one believed for a second Erica would disappear on her own free will. Victor told police he had called hospitals and jails to no avail, adding, Erica is never like this. Erica has never done anything like this before. We're already suspecting the worst. Her cousin David said Erica is not the type to go without communicating with family for days. And her friend Annabelle told detectives Erica wouldn't disappear and abandon her son. Annabelle was especially concerned. Annabelle had been friends with Erica for 10 years. She was supposed to go with Erica to the concert at the Coliseum on July 13th, but she couldn't. Not only did she not have money for the ticket, but she also got into an accident a few days before. So instead, Erica went with a man by the name of Ricardo Marquez. Annabelle was friends with both Erica and Ricardo, and she had introduced them to each other a few months earlier. Annabelle told police recently Erica had confided in Annabelle that Ricardo wanted a more serious relationship with her. She also said this in her sworn written statement. A voice actor is reading from the police transcript. Erica told me that Ricardo was violent and abusive. Erica told me that she didn't want to have a boyfriend like that. Erica was also dating a guy by the name of Marco. I don't know if Ricardo suspected Erica was seeing someone else. Erica told me that the Friday before the concert, she went to a bar with Ricardo, and that Ricardo fought a guy who wanted to dance with her. That was Erica's complaint about Ricardo, that he was very violent. Annabelle also added to the timeline of what Erica did after the concert ended. She told police, she was planning to meet Erica at Hilda's house party. But she also told police Erica didn't want Ricardo to go with them because Hilda worked for the sheriff's office and Ricardo was on probation. 
Court records show he was found guilty of cocaine possession in November of 2018. Annabelle said Erica asked her for the address. Annabelle then said this to police in her statement. I sent her the address, but Erica and Ricardo never showed up at Hilda's house. Annabelle didn't think much of it until she got a Facebook message on Monday from Marco, the guy Erica had been dating. Marco said Erica wasn't answering her phone and asked Annabelle if she had heard from Erica. Annabelle was stunned when she got onto Facebook and saw the family's posts asking for information about Erica's whereabouts. That's when she called Ricardo herself to ask him what happened the night of July 13th. Here's what she told police about her conversation with Ricardo. He told me that after the concert, he and Erica went to Corina's house for a party. He and Erica started arguing because she found a message from another girl on his cell phone. Ricardo told me that he and Erica left Corina's house and went to his house. He told me that Erica got mad at him and left walking. Ricardo then changed his story. He told me that Erica left his house and possibly got an Uber. She told police by the end of their conversation, Ricardo seemed defensive and told her he felt like he was being accused of something. Before they hung up, she urged him to call Erica's family. She told police, I know Ricardo never called Erica's aunt. She told me he never called her. Annabelle was confused. She was expecting Erica to show up at Hilda's house, not go to their friend Corina's house. Annabelle called Corina. Corina told her Ricardo and Erica never went to her house, and she hadn't seen Erica in a week. Annabelle's statement ended with this chilling remark. A group of friends is getting together and looking for Erica in the desert. We're doing it because the family suspects the worst. The search for Erica Gaithan was in high gear. Shortly after Annabelle got off the phone with Ricardo Marquez, she got a call from David, Erica's cousin. David wanted to know if she had heard from Erica. Annabelle told David about her conversation with Ricardo and said she caught Ricardo in some lies. She told him how she debunked his story about going to Corina's house and how he changed his story about whether Erica walked from his house or took an Uber home. David told police, I contacted Ricardo by Facebook Messenger telling him, hey, I'm Erica's cousin, where's Erica? David said Ricardo called him back on the app. David was with his mom, Erica's aunt. He put the call on speakerphone, and he asked Ricardo what happened to Erica, pointing out he was the last person to see her. He said Ricardo responded, I don't know. He then laid out for David a story similar to the one he told Annabelle, leaving out a reference to any after parties, but ending with Erica walking out of his house. Erica's aunt jumped in, saying, please tell us what happened to Erica. Ricardo answered her, saying, Ma'am, I don't know what happened to her. Guadalupe Gaitan's family told her what they were learning about Erica's last moves and who she was with before she vanished. Erica hadn't really mentioned Ricardo Marquez to her mom. Guadalupe told me Erica always called the guys in her life amigos, friends. 
And when she learned Erica was last seen with Ricardo, she said she got a terrible feeling. I began to suspect that she was still alive, but I felt that she was in danger or something worse. She went back to the police to plead for help finding Erica, telling them she believed in her heart Ricardo did something to her daughter. I explained to the police that, that I felt that she was in danger or dead because she was always on social media, but there was no sign of her phone and she always asked about her son. A detective told Guadalupe they had gone to Ricardo's house, but he wasn't there. But his mother was. They lived together. So investigators spoke to Maria Marquez. The police report includes a summary of their conversation. Maria Marquez implied that Erica had disappeared on her own volition. She seemed to draw that conclusion based on what Ricardo told her. Ricardo told his mom he heard from Erica's cousin, who told him Erica liked to go to Juarez. The detective told Guadalupe about that conversation. And I said to the detective, which cousin? Because it was only her. Guadalupe points to Erica's cousin next to her. And she's out of town, and she doesn't know Marcus's mom, so which cousin? That woman was also telling lies. Guadalupe Gaitan left the police department feeling helpless. She had pleaded for help to find her daughter, but instead felt like detectives believed Erica didn't want to be found. She had an overwhelming feeling of dread that Ricardo, the last person who was seen with her, had something to do with her disappearance. Detectives told her they would investigate, but she felt the urge to do more. She and her family decided to take their search for answers beyond social media. We got together a group of close family and friends, and we went to the neighborhoods to look for her in Red Sands. Red Sands is a sprawling desert area in far east El Paso County off Montana Avenue, more than nine miles east of Loop 375 beyond the city limits. It's not a recognized park space, but you'll find plenty of off-road bikers and ATV riders traversing the soft dunes that stretch for miles. Guadalupe hoped, or rather feared, that among the shifting sands in the desert, she'd find her daughter. I heard that they leave bodies out in the desert, but I don't know if that's true. But it was my intuition. I can't explain why we went there. While Erica's family began to search the wide expanse of desert for her body, police began to narrow their search for Erica with help from Ricardo Marquez. El Paso police detectives had tried several times to get in touch with Ricardo Marquez in the hours after learning he was the last person to see Erica Gaitan. 
He wasn't home when they stopped by, and his phone numbers didn't work. But he finally returned the detective's call. They asked him to recount his time with Erica. He said they went to the concert, but decided not to go to Hilda's party. Instead, Ricardo said he drove Erica back to his house. He told them they began to argue about their relationship. He said he wanted to be with Erica, but she got upset because he still spoke to an ex on Facebook. Erica said she was uncomfortable and wanted to leave. Ricardo told police he offered to take her home, but she refused, saying she would go to her Aunt Maria's house, which is a half mile away. Ricardo said he told Erica, do what you want, and she left, but he wasn't sure if she used Uber or walked because he stayed inside his house. Ricardo has now told an inconsistent story to several people, including police. He told one person he and Erica went to a house party after the concert, got into an argument there, then went to his house. But he told someone else they went straight to his house after the concert and got into the argument there. He also said after they argued, Erica left with an Uber or she walked alone in her white party dress and heels a half mile to her aunt's house in the dark of night. The only consistent detail Ricardo offered anyone is they were together at his house in the early morning hours of July 14th. Those inconsistencies were enough for police to issue search warrants. They wanted Ricardo's phone records, they wanted to search his house, and they wanted to look inside his vehicle. The police report shows on July 19th, they went back to his house and began undercover surveillance. The following day, in the early morning hours, the detectives noticed someone leaving the house. They began to follow the vehicle. Listen to what happened next. According to the report, the driver immediately began to drive erratically, making several sudden U-turns through the neighborhood like they were trying to lose the police tail before suddenly pulling over a block from the Marquez house. Detectives called for marked backup units and shined high beams into the vehicle. They could see the driver was a woman. It was Maria Marquez, Ricardo's mother. Before police could explain to her why they were surveilling her house, she spoke up. Maria told them she knew they were looking into the whereabouts of a missing woman, and then she said, I know you guys knocked on my door, but I was told not to answer the door. Police asked her who told her not to answer the door. She said her son, Ricardo Marquez. Police executed the search warrant on the Marquez house, while Maria went to police headquarters to give her written statement on the record. And I wanted to highlight a couple of parts that stood out to me. Maria Marquez told police she left town on Saturday, July 13th for Odessa, 270 miles east of El Paso. She drove the four and a half hours with her sisters, then came back in the late afternoon Sunday, July 14th. Here's what stuck out. This is read directly from the statement by a voice actor. 
Ricardo was home, and I asked how he was. And I also asked him if anyone came over while I was gone. He said he was good, and nobody came over. Remember when police first went to the Marquez house on Tuesday, July 16th? They spoke to Maria and asked if she knew anything about Erica Gaitan's whereabouts. She implied Erica might be in Juarez. But now, while giving police a sworn written statement, Maria said when Ricardo got home from work later that day, she asked him what happened with Erica. He once again laid out a similar story that he had been telling everybody else. They went to a concert, they went back to his house, and then they argued over the state of their relationship. Then, Maria stated this. Ricardo told me that she wanted to go home. Ricardo told Erica he would take her home, but she didn't want to go with him. Erica said she was going to take an Uber, and then she left. But this next bit of information is new. According to Maria, Ricardo followed Erica outside. This is what Maria told police. He was insistent on taking her home because she was drunk, but she didn't want to go with him. Erica was raising her voice outside while she was talking to Ricardo. Ricardo said he told her to lower her voice because the neighbors would call the police. Ricardo said that Erica didn't care. So he just went inside, closed the door, and went to sleep. I told him, why didn't you make sure she got home okay? Call a relative of hers or something. Ricardo said she was so mad and insistent on leaving alone, so he just went to sleep. So once again, Ricardo changed his story. According to Ricardo's own mother, he did not mention that he had a woman at his house even though she asked if anyone had gone over. Now, that woman was missing. Plus, Ricardo had told police that after he and Erica argued, he stayed inside when she left. Now, he told his mother they argued outside the house loudly enough to make him fear neighbors would call police and that he went back inside leaving Erica in the front yard. Ricardo may have said Erica walked outside of his house, but there's no evidence Erica ever left on her own. While Ricardo Marquez's mother was talking to police on the morning of July 20th, detectives were acting on the search warrant issued for Ricardo's home and vehicle. They focused on Ricardo's room. They took pictures, searched for any items that may be linked to Erica, and they sprayed Blue Star, a reagent used to detect traces of blood. There were a slew of items that began to glow. A polo shirt, a pillowcase, a bed sheet, sections of the bed's box spring, and a pair of steel-toed boots. While searching his room, a detective scrutinized a black tennis shoe. When he tipped it over, reddish dirt spilled from inside. The detective immediately thought it looked very much like it came from Red Sands. Police searched his car, a Crown Victoria. They found condoms, makeshift handcuffs made of zip ties, a partially filled bottle of liquor, and a gas can. On July 23rd, Police got Ricardo's text records and call logs from the cell phone company. And police also used cell phone tower records and Google to track Erica's and Ricardo's phone locations on the night of July 13th. What they found broke open the investigation. 
They could see the pair were together at the County Coliseum until 1.20 a.m. on the morning of July 14, 2019. At 1.40 a.m., they arrive at Ricardo's house, which is located just south of Montana between Saul Kleinfeld Drive and Joe Battle Boulevard. According to the phone records, Ricardo shut off his GPS at 3 a.m. According to the logs, around that same time, Ricardo called his brother Roberto three times. Roberto didn't answer, but then he texted Ricardo shortly after 5 a.m., asking if everything was all right. Close to 11 a.m., six hours later, Ricardo responded, asking if he could borrow Roberto's Jeep, and that he'd only need it for about two hours. Roberto said, sure, but he'd need to pay for gas. Ricardo texted his sister Alejandra shortly after, asking if he could borrow a shovel. Police canvassed the neighborhood for surveillance and doorbell cameras. None captured Erica walking away from Ricardo's house. And this part is emphasized on the police report. No data shows any activity on Erica's phone to show she in fact left the residence using any rideshare application. There was also no phone or text messages sent by Erica to any person asking for a ride. Police know Erica did not leave the house on the morning of July 14th. They also know in the late morning, Ricardo was asking his siblings for a Jeep and a shovel. And they actually found a shovel on the property during their search. But now they had to find his brother so they could search that Jeep. Roberto Marquez lived in northeast El Paso, near Loop 375 and Railroad Drive, about 13 miles from Ricardo's house. On July 29th, they issued a search warrant for the Jeep. Roberto told police he was expecting them. He added he had washed the outside but only vacuumed the inside of the vehicle. He even gave detectives the vacuum. Detectives noticed a car mat sticking out of the trash can and took that too. The detectives sprayed the Blue Star blood reagent in the Jeep and saw an intense reaction in the rear cargo area, meaning there was possibly blood or biological material present. This next part of the report is chilling. It says, A pattern was visible and appeared to be fingers. A closer inspection leads the detective to believe the hands appear to be bound, the positioning of the fingers appear as if the hands are behind the back. There is no reason to have a person in the rear of the Jeep. Detectives now believe Erica's bleeding and lifeless body was lying in the back of that Jeep. Ricardo Marquez's house is a 15-minute drive from Red Sands, which is where Erica Gaitan's family and friends have been searching for her remains. The search had been based on Guadalupe Gaitan's intuition, but now police were finding evidence to back up that instinct. They found surveillance camera footage recorded on July 14th from businesses along Montana Avenue, showing the Jeep Ricardo borrowed from his brother, first driving out of town east, then an hour later driving back. Police, sheriff's deputies, Texas rangers, Texas parks and wildlife investigators, and trained animals 
began scouring the desert of Red Sands. For three days, they searched. But on August 3rd, 2019, the lead detective got a call. There was a shooting at the Sierra Vista area Walmart. I laid out the details of the Walmart mass shooting in another podcast. I'm bringing it up now because that case took numerous police resources and time to investigate. And the investigation into Erica's disappearance appears to come to a halt based on the police report. Police resumed the search of the desert two weeks later and continued until mid-September, looking for a body or any piece of physical evidence that would prove their theory. It's rare for prosecutors to try a murder case without a body, but it's not unprecedented. But if they couldn't find Erica's remains, detectives needed the forensic test from Ricardo's house and the Jeep to prove their case. In December of 2019, nearly five months since anyone had seen Erica Gaitan, the blood test results from the Jeep came back from the state lab. It was Erica's blood. Police arrested Ricardo Marquez in the morning of December 4th, 2019, and charged him with murder. It's one of the few times someone in El Paso County has been charged with murder, even though the victim's body was missing. Ricardo was taken to the police headquarters so detectives could question him about what happened to Erica. I got a copy of the police interrogation. Ricardo speaks Spanish, so the detectives spoke to him in Spanish. Detective Gerardo Rodriguez read him his rights and then began to ask him what happened after he took Erica to his house in the early morning hours of July 14th. The interview lasted for more than two hours, and the entire time Ricardo insisted with varying degrees of intensity that he had no idea where Erica is. The first voice you hear is the detectives, and voice actors are reading a translated transcript of the interrogation. Her family deserves answers. Erica has a seven-year-old son. That son deserves to know what happened to his mom. Her mom deserves to know. And I know you know what happened to Erica. What are you basing this on to say that I know what happened to Erica? Ricardo sat across from the detective wearing a long-sleeved blue and white flannel shirt. His right hand was cuffed to the metal office chair. He occasionally smoothed out his khaki pants and often shifted, reclining in the seat. That day you told me that Erica left your house. Did she leave? Or did you take her somewhere? She left. Are you sure? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's been five months. Tell me again what happened. Well, I don't remember exactly what happened. The quality of the video is grainy but Ricardo's face and body language appear relaxed. He almost seems to smile each time he answers the detective and occasionally breaks eye contact to twist the cap off his bottle of water. His behavior struck me as cavalier, considering he was being charged with the murder of a woman he was last seen with. Here's one instance. Detective Rodriguez had left the room and Ricardo was alone. 
He ended up dozing off for several minutes. He started rubbing his eye as Detective Rodriguez came back to the interrogation room. What's up, Ricardo? Why are you rubbing your eyes? You have a little piece of trash, or did you remember Erica? <laughs> Ricardo laughs. Ricardo remains casual and aloof anytime the detective asks for information. You were the last person in contact with her, and that's why all the indications point back to you. She was in your house, you came here, and we talked, and you told me. She left, and you didn't know how. So let's clarify what happened to Erica. I don't know what you want me to tell you. Tell me what happened. Why did you and Erica get mad? I can't remember exactly what the problem was. You're here telling me I'm guilty, you have all the proof you need. I'm not here to convict you. There's enough evidence to bring you in handcuffs here today. Ricardo doesn't answer when the detective asks if he could clarify whether he and Erica were a couple. And when the detective asks if he wanted something more serious with Erica, which is what he had initially told detectives, Ricardo now walks it back. Even when she was with me, she was messaging other people, but I had no reason to be jealous because we were not an item. You didn't want a relationship with her? No. You don't think of her? No, I just went on with my life. As Ricardo says he went on with his life, he shrugs. The detective explains how Ricardo's reaction is in huge contrast to how her family feels, especially her son. She has a seven-year-old, Ricardo. I know, I knew him. Oh, you know him? Have you talked to him? Not since what happened to her. That kid asks for his mom every day. He comes home from school hoping to see her. On his birthday, Ricardo, he's going to wait for his mom. This boy wants to be with his mom for Christmas. He deserves to know what happened to Erica. You know what happened to Erica. I already told you guys what happened. The detective begins asking Ricardo why he borrowed his brother's Jeep. Ricardo says he was going to meet a girl, but when the detective asks for more details about her, Ricardo seems uncomfortable. Can you give me that girl's name? No, I can't. We've stopped talking. I don't want to cause problems. So you don't think she could help you with this case? In reality, she got into trouble and she's on the run from police. Friends told me. 
Ricardo claims he met with a woman the day after his date with Erica, but won't tell police how to contact her, even though she could help add to Ricardo's alibi. The detective moves on, asking again why he and Erica argued at his home. The detective brings up the fight he got into with a man at a bar the week before Erica disappeared. Was he jealous of attention Erica received from other men? You're saying that Erica was capable of making me mad, but no, I was upset with him, not her. Ricardo lays out in great detail what happened that night at the bar the week before Erica disappeared, and that is not lost on the detective. Okay, so notice how on that Friday you can remember every detail. But now that I asked you about what happened with you and Erica at your house, you say you're drinking and can't remember. Well, it's because I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly what happened right now. But Ricardo, if something traumatic happens in your life, you're going to remember that. That Saturday you went back to your house, something traumatic happened that you should remember. But why traumatic? Because Erica never returned home. The detective points out if Ricardo could remember the details of what led to a fight, why couldn't he remember what happened in the moments before Erica left his house and ultimately went missing? Ricardo is unmoved. The detective finally divulges they found something of Erica's in the Jeep that he borrowed from his brother hours after he claimed she had gone home. You took her in the Jeep. You told me Erica left your house. You tell me she leaves at 1.40 a.m. and at 11 a.m. you get the Jeep. You get it nine hours after Erica leaves your house. You know you took her in this car. If you say so. That's what happened. That's the proof you say you have. Very solid evidence. It's evidence that shows what happened in that car. Your brother tells me he never even knew Erica. Erica would have no reason to be in that car, but she was in that car. You know she was in that Jeep. Once the detective brings up the Jeep, Ricardo falls silent. His pauses become longer. But nearly an hour into the interrogation, Ricardo continues to not offer up any information. The detective urges Ricardo to have integrity and own up to his mistakes. For every action, there's a consequence. Yeah, my consequence was going out with her that night. Maybe you shouldn't have been together. Unfortunately, maybe you shouldn't have known her. Look at everything knowing her brought me. Look, Ricardo, she didn't deserve what happened to her. Nobody deserves what happened to her. As the detective says that, Ricardo scratches his head and yawns. 
Then he looks at the detective and replies. What happened to Erica? You tell me. Something traumatic happened at your house. You know she didn't leave your house. No matter what you say, you don't believe me. She stayed at your house. She didn't leave until the Jeep got to your house. Erica was there all night, and in the morning, she didn't leave until the Jeep got there, and you know it. I told you, when you give someone a ride, they get in the passenger seat. The detective slides closer to Ricardo and moves a picture towards him. It's a photo of the Jeep. You see this? This is the trunk of the Jeep. Why was Erica there? You know why. Erica was there on the floor, folded over. It's a very small space, and only you know why she was there. You put her there. You know it. No, I don't know. That's a chemical agent to detect blood. That blood was right there, and that's Erica's blood. Here's a report, right here. The blood is in the Jeep, and the blood is Erica's. No, she never got in the Jeep. Then how did the blood get there? You say she left at 1.40, and you got the Jeep at 11. How did it get there? I don't know. I think you cleaned the back of the Jeep and forgot this part. It looks like hands, fingerprints. After more than an hour and a half, Detective Rodriguez is joined by another detective. That detective revealed to Ricardo it wasn't just Erica's DNA found in the back of the Jeep. Ricardo's DNA was found there too. It's her blood and it's combined with your saliva. It's time to explain what happened. No, it's time that I ask for a lawyer. It doesn't matter what I say, so the interview is over. The interview was over, but the long trek to the courtroom was now beginning. Three months after Ricardo Marquez was arrested, the COVID-19 pandemic hit the United States and El Paso, shutting down courthouses, slowing the justice system almost to a halt. COVID kept everyone guessing when it would be safe to call a jury panel and hold a trial. But the family of Erica Gaitan held on to their anger and dismay over not knowing the truth about what happened to the 29-year-old mother they continued their search for her remains in the desert. We're still searching because the court trials are getting closer for the man who was arrested, Guadalupe Gaitan says. We don't want him to take advantage of this. We're desperate and want to find her body. And in August of 2020, more than a year after Erica disappeared, they protested when Ricardo's attorneys asked a judge for his bond to be reduced from $1 million to $250,000.
more than a dozen family members, friends, and supporters gathered downtown for a protest. Her mother, Guadalupe, spoke to ABC7 ahead of the bond hearing. We don't have a life. It's a nightmare. We don't have peace. His bond was reduced, but Ricardo remained in the county jail. And the jail became the site for more protests by the family, including one on the anniversary of Ricardo's arrest on December 4th, 2020. Guadalupe Gaitan stood outside the entrance to the jail, directing her protest chant up to where she imagined Ricardo's cell would be in the nine-story jail. In one hand, a large handmade poster board cross with the words justice and Erica written in gold letters. In her other hand, a black poster board with white lettering, the message in Spanish said, Erica deserves to have peace and a Christian burial. It's the one-year mark of this man's arrest who refuses to tell us where Erica is buried. We need to find her. She deserves to have peace, and so do we. Spikes of COVID cases in El Paso pushed the trial to April of 2022. Shortly after testimony began on April 8th, it was over. The judge declared a mistrial. The assistant district attorney addressed the sudden upheaval in a brief statement that day. At the onset of trial today, an issue came up with the jury which resulted in a mistrial. Once a new trial date is agreed upon, it will be reset in the 409th District Court. No one ever went on the record to say what the jury issue was that led to the mistrial. A second trial was scheduled for the end of May. No cameras were allowed inside the courtroom, but an ABC7 crew was allowed to get video through a window in the courtroom door. Ricardo sat at the defense table in a suit and tie. He was clean-shaven and wore an earpiece to listen to the court proceedings translated into Spanish. Most of the time, he was solemn, his face and eyes slack, but sometimes he would focus his eyes directly at the camera. And a few times, our cameras caught him talking to his attorneys and smiling. In fact, the few times I walked into the courtroom, he looked over at me and it felt like he was daring me to look away first. Erica's mom, Guadalupe, told me about the first time she met eyes with Ricardo, and her experience was similar to mine. I was very angry, very angry. And I know he was looking for me in the courtroom because he knew me from the news, and he would react when I would look at him. I never lowered my gaze, because inside I knew that he had always done it. The jury heard from everyone who went to police worried about Erica. They heard about all the evidence collected at Ricardo's house, including the shovel and the sand-filled shoes, the cell phone data and GPS tracking showing them at Ricardo's house together. They heard police testify they could find no evidence that Erica left his house that night. And they heard about what police did find, 
traces of her blood in the Jeep, and video of the Jeep on Montana Avenue headed to the Red Sands Desert area and then back into the city. They heard the police interrogation video in which Ricardo repeatedly avoided answering the detective's questions about what happened the night Erica disappeared. One of Ricardo's co-workers also testified. He said he teased Ricardo about being a murderer. He told the court Ricardo went along with his jokes. One time, Ricardo told his co-worker, they will never find her. It was a hard process. Besides what was happening, we felt intimidated by his lawyers. All the time during the trial, we felt intimidated. Guadalupe told me she was frustrated by the defense's attempt to dismiss what she saw as concrete evidence of Ricardo's guilt and instead focus on Erica's behaviors, that she had been dating several different men at the same time, that she enjoyed going out with friends, that she had financial troubles. It was hard. We knew Erica. We knew that even if she was drinking, no one had the right to take her life. Erica's cousin, Miriam Adame, moved from Kansas City to El Paso after Erica disappeared to be closer to family. She joined her aunt in our studio to talk to me about Erica. The trial was hard. It was torture. It was hard for me not to cry. The judging, we didn't do that. We just sat there. It was difficult. We had to listen to everything they said, everything they found, see her pictures, her voice. We felt helpless. We couldn't do anything but gain strength, to become cold-blooded, to be able to be there for her and wait for justice to be served. Forensic evidence is key for investigators to answer the question of what happened to an El Paso woman who disappeared nearly three years ago. This day when I was in the courtroom, the state's expert witness testified. The forensic scientist with the Texas Department of Public Safety told the jury the blood evidence obtained from the Jeep floor mat and the back of the Jeep itself was a probable but not a definitive match to Erica's DNA. Would the circumstantial evidence matter more to the jury than the forensic evidence, or lack thereof? The jury began deliberating on June 22nd, and a day later, they came back with a verdict. They found Ricardo Marquez guilty of murder. he was sentenced to 75 years in prison. There were many reactions to the conviction and punishment. Family and friends who supported both Ricardo and Erica were crying and holding each other. Guadalupe said she grasped her sister's hands in order to keep herself from screaming aloud in the court. She had a chance to speak to Ricardo directly about how Erica's death affected her. 
inclusive ahí se lo dije al último cuando hablé en la corte y me dieron este para hablar. When I spoke in court, I told him I did not forgive him. I told him to ask God for forgiveness because he never asked for repentance. Nunca. I asked a juror if they would speak to me about what convinced them of Ricardo's guilt. That juror declined to talk, but gave me this statement. It says, quote, Although the body of the victim has yet to be recovered, the El Paso Police Department assembled a large volume of evidence that systematically points to Ricardo Marquez. That body of evidence was comprehensively discussed and dissected by the prosecution and the defense teams during the trial. The public defender attorneys executed a particularly impressive defense on behalf of Mr. Marquez. During a two-day deliberation period, the jury considered multiple aspects of the testimony provided and the evidence presented before reaching a guilty verdict. Ricardo Marquez became one of the only people in El Paso County in the last 30 years to be convicted of murder without a body being found. He was transferred from the county jail to the Bird Correctional Unit, which is in Huntsville, Texas, 70 miles north of Houston. His projected release date is in 2094, 75 years from now. However, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice website states he will be eligible for parole in the year 2049. On July 28th, a month after he was convicted, attorneys for Ricardo Marquez filed a motion for a new trial. He's asking the court to consider his request for a new trial based on two points. He believes there was insufficient evidence to prove he intentionally and knowingly killed Erica Gaitan. And he claims the jury engaged in improper deliberations by using information that wasn't presented in the trial as evidence in their deliberation. Neither the district attorney's office nor the court have filed a response to the motion. Losing Erica was devastating to the Gaitan family. Guadalupe says what adds to their pain is the constant battle to correct the narrative of what happened to her. Her family often would see comments on online articles and social media posts of people implying that Erica left on her own to start a new life. Her mom thinks people who didn't know Erica caught the few pictures of her on the news and saw a young, pretty, sociable woman who took time on her appearance and jumped to conclusions. It's very hard. People are very cruel. Erica loved her son, Fabian. You can hear that in the gentle way Erica helped Fabian practice the sign of the cross before bedtime. She sent this cell phone video to her family. Claro que me 
She showed me several pictures of the two of them, smiling while wearing life preservers in a boat on a lake, Erica with her arm around Fabian's waist while the two of them donned matching shirts at SeaWorld. There was one more photo, the kind of snapshot that almost hurts your heart to look at for too long. It was taken July 6, 2018. She had thrown a huge bash for Fabian's sixth birthday. It was a Minions-themed party, so Erica and Fabian were dressed in yellow. The two were holding a picture frame that said, Felicidades, Fabian. Congratulations, Fabian. They are beaming, completely unaware that a year and eight days later, Erica would be dead. Now, Fabian is 10 years old. Guadalupe thinks of him every time she fights to preserve Erica's memory. Did they put themselves in my shoes at one point about how we felt? About when her son asks about her and he wants to know about her and what we have to say? Do they know what we suffered when his father had to tell him his mother was dead? About his crying, it was like an explosion. We all cried. It was horrible. Horrible. Guadalupe will not rest. She plans to head back to the desert to find her daughter. I am a woman of faith, and I have much faith that one day we will find her. Borderland Crimes is a podcast produced and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Thanks to the Gaitan family for sharing their memories and photos of Erica. You can see them on kvia.com. Just click on this story. Thanks to voice actors Emma Hoggard, Krista Mack, Sylvia McMinn, Larry Monares, and Jesus Rodriguez. Stay tuned, another episode of Borderline Crimes is coming soon.